0: Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition.
1: Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make
0: this start grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House. Already into our third week in October, we've got Jay Harper with the Farms Choice joining us in studio to talk about your landscape and garden. If you'd like to join the conversation, 188-767-4348. That's 188-Rosie for you. When the auto attendant answers, just press the number one button and it'll bypass you right through to the studio. Text to 411 411- 923 or, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need to snap a picture or you need a little plant or insect identification we could possibly help with you can send it there. Mr. Harper. Yes sir. Did you bring cold weather with you this time?
1: <laughs> I'm trying it's getting better. I mean it's uh, I think because we had such a hot summer we're, we're a little over uh, sensitive maybe to the fact that it's still you know kind of in the 90s maybe Touching hundred a little bit, but this really isn't that uncommon for October. Um, our nighttime temperatures are—you know, it was in the 60s this morning. Last couple mornings, the lows are—you know—so that's that's pretty darn tolerable. I, I, in fact, if I had to pick for a year-round temperature, it would be the 60-90 stuff. Yeah, it's a little warm late in the afternoon, but it's not so cold in the morning. You need a jacket. And it's not so cool in the evening. You can just, you can wear the same clothes all you don't day have to long layer. <laughs> and be comfortable. Yes. And uh, so I can tell you one thing if you have a swimming pool and you've tried to get in it in the last couple of weeks, you know it's cooled off.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. I think it was two or three weeks ago we went over to our friend's house on a Sunday. I I don't think I got past my knees. I yeah, like, ah, it's so you kids are tougher than me. <laughs> that's how you can tell
1: those nighttime temperatures have cooled way down. But anyway, we, you know, having spent sixty some odd years here, I've seen I think more October's kind of like we're having right now than it being cooler. But it's this is really very good growing weather. Um, you know, it's not so cold at night. Things have stopped growing. Um, getting good daytime temperatures, keeping the soils somewhat warm, which makes it such a great time to plant because the soils are have, are maintaining their warmth, yet the nights are longer, the air's cooler. We're getting huge, huge relief at night. Big, you know, thirty-some degree swings in temperature lets those plants really recover at night. So you can you can get stuff in the ground and get it established without it having a lot of stress. Uh, we're right in the middle of the transition from summer to winter lawns. People are scalping and planting winter lawns. Um, And so there's just lots of stuff going on, whether it's shade trees or vegetables or winter lawns. It's it's time to get back outside.
0: When Eisenhower was in Talking Trees, he made the point trim any trees where you have to drag branches across where you may be overseeding a lawn so you don't mess up the germination or the pattern of your new one. So if you got your trees done last week, can we start overseeding this week? Is it still too warm? Are we dancing on the line?
1: Well, the 15th of October, I've always said, is the magic day. So that was just a couple days. So we're right there. Could you wait a little longer? Sure. But, you know, then if you wait, Too long, you know, and the nights get cold, quote unquote, you know, that it's not that the seed won't germinate. It just slows down. So there's a couple of factors. We talk about traffic on your lawn. Do you have a front lawn you're doing? Are you going to have trick-or-treaters here in a couple weeks? Is anybody going to be trick-or-treating this year? I don't know. Um, I always tried to get my lawn up and established before all the kiddos started walking across my lawn. Um, So you'd have to do that about now to do that. Um, So there's a lot to take into consideration, but I think anytime we start getting nighttime temperatures in the 60s, especially if mid-60s and below, the Bermuda has slowed way down or is going to go dormant shortly. Um, The old days when we used to see people creeping their winter lawns into September uh, to try and get a jump on things, that was probably not a great idea. Bermuda was still very active and growing fast, uh, but we're we're about there. Can you wait another week? Yeah. Is it okay to do it now? Yeah. I think I think it's we're safe on both counts.
0: And to overseed for a winter lawn, if you've got the Bermuda, we've already talked about that. It's dormant, you scalp it. If it's a raw dirt, what do you can you just go rye seed straight onto the Bermuda or is there a different grass if I've got a a blank dirt canvas?
1: We still use the same seed. We want to use a good blended perennial rye grass. Seed, which will have generally three different varieties of, of ryegrass in it. Um, and they try and select those, maybe one for color, one for hardiness, uh, you know, one for rate of growth, that sort of thing. There, there's different reasonings behind the blend of seed. Uh, so it's the same seed. The, the process is a little different. So if you're overseeding an established lawn, um, you want to mow it. We used to say scalp. Scalp might even be a little more severe. The current thinking is now do as little damage to your permanent lawn that you're overseeding as possible. So you got to mow it down a little bit so that the seed will actually find its way down to the soil through the canopy of the grass. But in the old days we used to take them down to the dirt. I mean you could the thing was you couldn't hardly get it short enough. That's not really the the current thinking any longer. And we certainly don't want you to dethatch. We used to do that as well. So don't dethatch and don't scalp it too hard. Just enough to get the seed down through the canopy of the grass. If it's bare dirt, we'd want you to loosen up maybe a half an inch to an inch of soil on top. You can generally do that with a good stiff rake. Um, You might have to water the, the area a little bit before, get it softened up a little bit but just take a good stiff rake and, and you know, scuff it up good. Uh, then, you know, get any rocks or clods out of there. Sow your seed and then cover it lightly with a layer of some type of organic mulch or compost, something that will protect that seed, keep it moist, keep the birds from getting to too much of it, but, but mainly keep it from drying out. We don't want seed just—if you just threw seed on— hard bare ground kind of like this countertop and it's just sitting there it's harder to keep it wet enough for it to germinate would it germinate yeah i've seen seed germinate in the beds of pickup trucks um (laughs) or you
0: you take a sack out of the leftover seeds from last year and you got a couple sprouts coming through absolutely
1: (laughs) yeah so it if it's got enough moisture it'll germinate um but uh it's hard to do that on hard ground like that so Scuffing it up a little bit so the seed can get down in a little bit and then covering it lightly. Not too much, maybe just a quarter of an inch or so with some type of organic material. And then keep it wet, keep it moist. Probably the more frequent you can water it during the day, the better. Don't water so much at one time that you get puddles or standing water.
0: And once it's germinated, once you see the sprouts coming up, you can cut that watering back pretty significantly.
1: You might, you know, once you start to see it come up and it, and and your area is green, there's enough cover there that it's green, you know, I would get it down to maybe once or twice a day. Then once you've mowed it the first time, certainly down to once a day. Um, then after the second mowing, you can generally go to your, what's going to be your watering pattern. For the rest of the winter, maybe two or three times a week, and as you do that though, you're going to you're gonna increase the duration of the water. So we're watering to get it germinated maybe five to ten minutes, maybe even a little less depending on your lawn, four or five times a day, three, four five times a day. Once we start cutting it back, maybe we go to, let's just say we go to once a day, well we don't leave it at three or four or five minutes, we might go to five to ten minutes, And then once we go to maybe every other day once, then we're going to be back into the 10 to 20 minutes kind of a thing. So longer, deeper waterings, once that grass has established some roots, we want it to be as deep-rooted as we can.
0: And you had mentioned no ponding. There's a few areas in my yard that do pond. Will that drown the seed?
1: Well, it could. I mean, it's okay if it kind of ponds for a little bit, if it's standing all the time. You know, if if there's still standing water there and your lawn's about to kick on again and water again, that, yes, then you get to where you might not get germination because it's just, you know, it's just underwater. Um, So if you have areas like that, you know, one thing might be you might try adding a little more soil or something to bring it up. It's pretty low probably. Uh, Another thing you could do would be to actually aerate it, punch some holes in it, try and get it to drain a little better. The other thing is just shorten the length of time your water is running. Um, That area is going to stay a lot wetter than the other areas. Maybe increase the frequency, shorten the duration for a while. Till you get your grass yeah. to come up.
0: It used to be nice and flat but then a DOG happened and uh, it's not everything's not as flat as it used to be. It's really hard <laughs> to have a good lawn with
1: one of those in your yard.
0: <laughs> now how do you fertilize any different on a winter lawn than you do your summer uh, lawns or is it the same type of fertilizer, same type of nitrogen, three letter?
1: Well fertilizing when you say different, you, you brought that up a different type of fertilizer perhaps. When we get cooler or cold soils, um, some of the common forms of nitrogen that we use are, are hard for the plant to be able to take up. The conversion that has to take place before the plant is use, or before the nitrogen is usable by the plant is much harder for the little bacteria that are doing that when they're cold and not active. So if you go to something that's more of a winter lawn type fertilizer with maybe a nitrate fertilizer in it is good. Organics work good all the time. They are slower in colder weather than they are in warmer weather.
0: And I said three number, but I meant three elements. What are the three elements like the nitrogen, that represent a number? Like three seven. numbers
1: on a bag of fertilizer represent first nitrogen, second phosphorus and lastly potash. Nitrogen typically is the most important, the first number for growing leaves and stems so for grass production that's what you probably want to concentrate on
0: all right well during the break i'm going to text my wife until her to turn down the sprinkler runtime a little bit clean up a few little ponds and we'll get back here and continue our conversation we're going to uh, we've got a lot to talk about today it's a beautiful time of the year it's fall season planting season and mr harper i've heard you say before your favorite time to plant is now absolutely <laughs>
1: Just what you sow, so good seeds, so seed. everybody, everybody, so good
0: continue our conversation here in our everybody. landscape and garden, we spent the whole first segment talking about uh, growing things. Uh, before we get to vegetable gardening and more growing, let's spend this segment talking about preventing things from growing pre-emergent. We have not had a lot of monsoon rain. When we get a good rain, there's going to be explosion of weeds.
1: <laughs> well, there generally always is, and you know. This, so this is a great time of year to to do a lot of things, and one of those is when we took the break, you were going to text your wife to change the watering schedule. Make sure you're also adjusting your trees and shrub schedules. They certainly don't need as much water as they did when it was 100. When we had almost 60 days of 110 degree weather, um, so make sure we're we're adjusting all of our watering schedules. Uh, by the way, you can get a controller and do that from your phone now. I know, but, uh, you know I know. Just... <laughs> I've I've got
0: big plans for irrigation there upgrades. You know. <laughs> um,
1: as, it's also a good time of year, though, to, per, to apply pre-emergent herbicides. We generally will get some moisture in the winter. I, the, I guess the, the jury's out whether this is going to be a wetter winter or a normal winter or a drier winter, but probably we'll get a few rains anyway, and that will always lead to seasonal seed germination and, and cool season weeds and grasses. So if you apply a pre-emergent now before that happens uh, to your rock areas, to your areas that are not going to be seeded for anything, or once your winter lawn is established and has been mowed a couple of times, you can apply a pre-emergent to those as well. So I always tell people kind of fall and spring, you know, maybe between The first day of fall and Halloween is a good time for one application, and again, about the first day of spring, so later in March, is another good time. So applying pre-emergence can save you lots of time and needless effort in the garden in the spring when you'd rather be doing other things.
0: And if I ended up pre-emerging anticipating I was going to get that we were going to have some kind of monsoon rain, is that pre-emergence still good? We'd have to reapply now?
1: Probably not. If it did not get watered in um, and get activated, it, it probably just solubilized with the heat. And, you know, and if you applied it before the monsoon, you'd almost need to be doing another application here pretty quickly anyway. You know, three to four months is, is probably about all we can expect for effectiveness. So w- for a couple of reasons, you'd want to do it again, but you do have to water in most pre-emergent herbicides. So a time it right before a rain or you have to go out and manually apply water to get it activated into the soil.
0: We have been on a real weed uh, crusade at the Whitman Plantation. We got completely overrun Uh, and without the rodeo season from basically March until now, we've had uh, a lot of extra weekends at home. We've just gone on an absolute battle. I mean, I went, I've gone from as old school as a sickle mm. to as modern as Roundup. I mean, I, <laughs> and everything in between. You've declared Goals. war. All right. <laughs> the hula ho. Yeah. Um, we've got a, a nice 30 uh, gallon tank that's on a trailer. You tow behind a quad now and it comes with a 25 foot wand and you mix your pre-emergent or your weed killer oh nice just walk around in first gear with one hand on the gas and the other one on the wand and I tell you what that has made a huge difference and just I mean every weekend I'll I'll make a mixture because I'll find something and even if it's just little tiny tiny you know pin dot heads (laughs) I see starting to come up and just you know keeping that clean it makes such a big difference
1: well, and all weeds and grasses are much easier to, to control whether it's with a hula-ho or with a spray when they're young and, and tender and fast-growing and haven't established big, strong roots. So whether you're, whether you're scuffling them off with a hula-ho or you're spraying them or you're pulling them, the, the younger they are and the smaller they are, the better they are. Plus, then you don't have a lot of big, dead material. That Which, you've got to deal with afterwards, once you've either pulled it, scuffled it off, or or killed it, that you've got to deal with. then.
0: and being able to use so much more of the property because you're always worried about what might be in that laying in that pile of weeds, just waiting for you know something to come by—snakes oh, or well, you know, predators out there. I suppose that's the... <laughs> depending on where you live, that could be an issue. <laughs> so it's it's been an all-out war, and I know that there's a lot of net bad press about, uh, you know, Roundup and the lawsuits and everything. But I mean, when you're looking at the dilution ratio of water and how little you put on a little tiny plant, it's like, you know, a micro spec is, is falling on there, you know. It,
1: well, number one, Roundup has to be applied to viable growing tissue to be effective. You don't spray it on the ground. It doesn't do mm-hmm. any good. So that's a waste of time, energy and product. Number two, use common sense when you spray. Wear the appropriate clothing. Don't do it on a windy day. Um, and, and, you know, follow directions and mis- mixing instructions and, and put it on properly. Um, it's just like anything. If it's abused or used improperly, you know, then we could suffer consequences later on.
0: Well, I got tired of being abused by ragweed and so that has been a huge I asset. <laughs> even even the goats wouldn't eat the ragweed. I'm like, all right, we've got to get the you know bad bad game go- here. <laughs> if goats
1: won't eat it, you know
0: it's bad. <laughs> so we've got uh, we can overseed right now, we can uh, get ready for pre-emergent, but if you don't water it in, just have it ready ahead and be ready to apply it during the next uh, the next time we do get some rain. We're gonna talk go back to planting. It is fall Vegetable Gardening here at Rosie on the House. Let's plant a garden out in the yard. Let's work together and it won't be that hard. Continuing through all the areas of our outdoor living space, we're going to move into the gardens now. We've got a great planting season, a great variety of vegetables that can go in the ground. Uh, Are you still planting your own gardener? Kind of let that go uh, go by the wayside. Oh
1: but. no, I still, uh, I, I, you know, there's just two of us, so I've I've gone to more containers and raised bed stuff. Um, but yep, still doing it. Now is the time to, you know, to start planting all those things that that we eat the roots of, the stems of, the leaves of. Um, so there's a lot of different stuff you can plant right now, and it's a long season which is kind of neat. You know, you can do things in stages, um, especially if there's only two of you, you know, where you can plant, you know, a little batch of spinach and maybe some spring mix or some kind of lettuce and maybe some onions and do and then kind of repeat that in a few weeks. So you've got some stuff coming on, you know, uh, periodically through the season instead of having it all ready at one time.
0: Now, when you're planting and you're row spacing and row gardening and you're poking little holes for the seeds and you're dropping them in and it tells you to put a couple seeds in each Mm -hmm. hole. Is that just because not every seed is guaranteed to germinate or does it make a a (laughs) multi-trunk vegetable stronger or what?
1: Well, I think, yeah, not every seed does germinate for sure. Um, I think it's always easier to plant more and then, you know, go back and thin once they've germinated
0: but um, seeds are so cheap. That's easy to do. I just have a hard time thinning. I'm like, oh, these nice little plants, but then yeah. if you don't, they don't get big enough because they're all competing or,
1: or they get real lanky and stretchy. And yeah. So um, yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, you know, package of seed, you know, buck 50 to maybe two bucks, you know, for in, in most cases, more seed in a package of seed than you're going to use. in you know, maybe a couple of seasons. So one little trick um, that I learned, um, you know, from my dad was to take seed and put it in a, you can use a jar, you can use a coffee can, you can use a lot of different things, and then put some, uh, some either some fine potting soil or some sand um, and and put it in that jar with it and shake it all up good. And then the seed gets kind of intermixed with all of that little bit of soil so then when you go down your row that that material that that you've mixed the seed with is acting as a as a carrier so it's helping spread the seed out um, as opposed to just trying to take straight seed and and put it in that little furrow or that little trench you maybe made and get it spaced out the right way if you mix that seed with some good fine potting soil or some sand and then just shake it out. You can even poke holes in your in the lid of your can or jar and put it on that way. That will actually space your seed out. Makes that thinning job a lot easier or maybe not necessary at all. So, just a little just a little trick.
0: And there's <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the exact name of a, a gardener that ran a nursery in Tucson. I knew a while back said something – he had a, a special term for it where it was uh, partner planting, where if you plant Companion this, planting? Com, it, maybe that's it. Okay. Talk through that theory.
1: Well, you know, so some certain plants do grow better if they are uh, with other plants, and certain plants don't do well if they're together. And, you know, so you might plant – for instance, the concept there is maybe you plant something tall – like a like a row of uh, uh, sweet peas or beans or pole beans, and that might cause some shade down on one side of it that you could plant something that might need a little uh, or do better with a little afternoon shade. Um, so you know, or you plant things that are low around? You know, you got tomato plants and peppers that get bigger. You could plant things that are lower. Around them, so if you're with limited space, particularly where that you know can kind of come into play, Um, also planting things that might help um, attract pollinators with your garden. So you know, planting some flowering things in with with your uh, vegetables might draw some bees and pollinators to the garden that will then get in there and help things pollinate. So there's a there's a lot of things that you can do and I think it looks it looks kind of cool to have an old-fashioned kind of a mixed garden rather than you know something that looks like a commercial farm. That's nice too, but in a backyard setting you might be looking for something that's aesthetics as well as, you know, uh, practical.
0: Have your landscape and eat it too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And container gardens have come it seems like we hardly ever talk about somebody calling trying to do a row garden anymore. Uh, I, I can't remember the last caller we took on setting up a row garden. It's always been, you know, pots Well, you
1: know, it, it, you know, the size of our, of our new subdivision lots and the way we live is, is different. Um, people don't have the space. They don't have the time to do that as well. And, 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 So it's maybe not as practical to do it that way anymore. So container gardening is, you know, great, especially if you live in, but today you see all these high-rise living situations and balconies and patios. doesn't mean you can't grow vegetables. Almost anything you can grow in the ground you can grow in a container um, if you have the right location and the right size container to grow it in.
0: I do like how those patio gardens on a lot of the new residential high-rises really soften up the you know the 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 skyscraper they've
1: done a great job with some of them with even hanging gardens and ground covers hanging out and hanging down over the edge of the balconies and yeah they're they're pretty cool pretty neat
0: i can't remember where i was but i went by an intersection i hadn't been through in you know five or six years and i don't even remember what was there anymore but just this huge massive uh you know residential apartment Mm -hmm. with that type of look and I thought Mm -hmm. you know that 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 does a really good job of mirroring the 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 urban city and and you know not feeling like or at least to me like you're in the middle of a downtown
1: especially uh, with what's happened this last six months when people have been cooped up uh, inside a little more than they'd like to have been to have at least some green space even if it's right off the edge of your balcony or patio. I'm sure it was very uh, very comforting and very important.
0: And it doesn't have to be a brand new building to do that. The ASU campus, west campus or east campus by Falcon Airfield, they did a really good job converting that campus to... The one by the old
1: Williams Airfield you mean? The I, maybe poly, that's Polytechnic yeah. campus? Okay.
0: They did a really nice job converting that old Campus Airfield to that that style of I don't know what you call that type of le- landscape architecture infused with housing. There's Don Ryden's probably yeah. screaming at his radio right now. Well, <laughs> you know they did they did
1: they've been very creative with using certain materials too. They used old recycled concrete to make walkways out of broken concrete pieces, and you know the gabion walls, the rock, the walls inside the the uh, wire frames. To use that kind of that kind of Frank Lloyd Wright Taliesin earthy ergonomic looking uh, uh, architecture and landscape features is uh, I think very pleasing to the to the eye.
0: And you get a nice combination of low water use and your and your desert plant on that campus. They did a the the engineers and the landscape architects did a really nice job on that, and I'm I'm sure they still do tours out there. That's how I got to see the. The campus—I don't know—with the re- shutdowns right now. But if you're looking for inspiration, that's a great place. Botanical gardens are a great place. Um, you know that the water treatment plant on Scotts at Scottsdale's and it's, uh, facility and,
1: and Hayden—that's mm-hmm. a—that's
0: another yep. really nice place to go see this type of of landscape design.
1: Right, and and the use of you know structures and different types of structures to create shade and and, uh, and, and uh, not be obtrusive. They it, it, it did a nice job. But, yeah, I think there's just more and more thought going into the way we design things now as far as living space and green space combined that, you know, we need that. You, you look at, you know, I saw watching a program the other day with, you know, New York City and just central – you know, I mean, the fact that they thought enough to reserve that space – so people had a place to go. That's how important um, having some green open space is somewhere, even if even if it's not off your balcony, you can walk a short distance or it's accessible to you to get into nature. So it, it makes a big difference.
0: And we're talking about bringing that nature into your backyard, whether it's a lawn, a tree, a garden, um, or, or a certain design feature. That you mirror with it, and it always comes back to water. And we've got a fifth Saturday this month here in October on Halloween weekend. We're going to be talking about the scary topic of water and how it really isn't so scary when you really start crunching the numbers. And I bring that up just because anytime we talk about doing a lawn or you mm. know planting a tree that's not a native, you get those diehard uh, naturalists that you know we shouldn't plant anything here that's not native. You shouldn't have a lawn. You shouldn't grow tomatoes because they're not native I'm like that that's extremely extreme <laughs> but we've done as the state of Arizona a great job in water resource management and development um, when you start really looking at the infrastructure of the waterways and CAP and SRP and the groundwater it, it's it's pretty impressive and the advancement in agriculture and their water efficiency
1: we use roughly the same amount of water now as we did in the 1950s, and the census in the,
0: of the 1950s of and the population well, I don't think is, it was a half a million. Yet I don't know, but uh, you know it's exponential. <laughs> it wasn't um, seven million comparatively,
1: <laughs> right? So Phoenix is now the fifth or sixth largest city in the United States, and it wasn't in 1950, I'm sure. Um, so, um, let alone what you know, Mesa and Yuma and Tucson and everybody's grown. So. We're we're very efficient. Farming is very efficient. They continue to be. They have to continue to work on it, though, because as more and more people move here, you know, we keep having hurricanes in Louisiana and (laughs) fires in California. People are going to keep moving to Arizona. I think, Um, you know, there will be continued strain on the supply, and um, we we need to plan. So, I you know, I, I there's there's enough. To do what you need to do but there's not enough to waste. So I think continuously coming up with new technologies is a great idea.
0: And the amount of times we use the water before you know it, it gets down a lot of your uh, golf courses or you know that water that you see out there it's treated water that's already been used once or cycled through the system. Um, the and, and really, when you think about it, all water is recycled. But <laughs>
1: well, it's a renewable resource. I mean, eventually it gets, you know, it it goes into the ground and gets in the water table or it evaporates into this, you know, into the atmosphere and
0: comes, back comes as down rain. as rain yeah. somewhere. So,
1: yeah, it's just, you, you know, you you want to conserve as much of it as you can.
0: So we'll have a great broadcast coming up at the end of the month with all the different uh, big players in the Arizona's water industry, CAP, srp um, some new technologies that we're going to highlight as it relates and and of course the ag department on uh, the water use here in the desert we've got uh, one more segment coming up here at rosie on the house here in our outdoor living hour jay harper of the farms choice getting to our final segment here at rosie on the house we've uh, we started with lawns, we went to pre-emergence, we covered gardening, a little bit on water topic, trees and shrubs. I think it's the only thing we've left, and this is a great time to plant them. It gives them a year of well, you almost season.
1: gain You almost gain a year if you plant in the fall because we mentioned, I think, in the first segment that, you know, our nights are longer, our air is cooling off, days are certainly, you know, they're not as cool as maybe we'd want, but they're a lot cooler than they were. But the soil stays relatively warm. The soil doesn't cool off as fast as the air does. So you have this unique combination of kind of warm ideal growing temperatures in the atmosphere cooling off at night to reduce stress because the plants can recover in the warm soil for the roots, kind of like an incubator. So when we plant a plant, the, the soil is warm enough that the roots will start to grow and get plants will become rooted you may not see a lot of growth on top but once that root system is established that's what that's what's critical for a plant being planted at any time and that's what we have a hard time sometimes when it's hot when we when we plant in april may and june going into that hotter weather it takes a ton of water the plant may be under stress from uh, a very dry hot windy atmosphere and the and the soils are so dry they're they're com- almost competing with the plant for water. The soil is just sucking it up and sucking it away from the plant. So right now we have a great very hospitable situation where the soil is warm but it's not hot, the air temperature is warm but it's not hot. The nights are cool so we get a long recovery and and the plant is able to get rooted. Once a plant has established its root system and it's gotten out away from that little root ball that it came in and those roots have gone into the native soil, then it starts to gain the ability to gather moisture more effectively and more efficiently. And it can start withstanding the stress that might come later. Plus, once our days become longer in the spring, that plant's already rooted. So it's like having a mature plant from a root standpoint sitting there and you get this huge spurt of growth where you might not get very much, if any, at all, if you plant in the spring. So it is almost like gaining a full year by planting six or eight
0: months ahead. So plant now. Plant often. <laughs> plant a lot.
1: Plant now. The, o- the only thing we've got to watch as we get later into the fall, and actually into the winter, is you know, maybe planting things that are cold-sensitive that, that might be damaged if we did get a cold snap. So things like hibiscus. You know, really highly tropical things, we might want to be careful of. But as far as anything else, yeah, it's you know, we say vote early and vote often. (laughs) We probably shouldn't joke about that this year, but plant early and plant off, plant often. Right now, plant it. Don't just stand there, plant something.
0: We had a call last week, and Sarah Maitland was in with uh, Eisenhower and. The question was, push, should I do a ficus or a red push pistache? I mean, it was unanimous around all three, said the red push over the ficus. And we talked about how in 20, might even been 08, when we had the last hard freeze, 07. Oh, like
1: 13, I think. Oh, was it
0: 13? Oh, yeah. I, I always go back to seven or eight because my well casing actually cracked that we had about
1: <laughs> We had about every two or three years there for a number of years, I think. I think 13, 11, and 9 maybe or 08, you know. So there was about three of them in in that span of about six or eight years where we had very, very cold temperatures and we never thought anybody would plant another ficus again Well, they're back planting (laughs) like crazy, I can tell you.
0: (laughs) How soon we forget? Yep. <laughs> because those, you know, it cycles. That we see hail about every seven to ten years, and it gets down to the desert, and we'll see it again, and they'll be calling us. My ficus doesn't look very good. <laughs> well, what are what are well, some other hardier trees that let's just say straight shade?
1: Well, my big three are red push pistache, Chinese elm, and live oak. Mm. If I, you know, if I had to pick three those would be the three i'd pick
0: and you know China, the red push is fairly new when you're locked to the the arizona when you compare how long compared to the, the live others. oaks mm-hmm. and the elms have been around but you don't seem to have those types of problems that like you know the the aleppo pines we've got this blight that's come along that mm-hmm. we haven't known before and you, we haven't seen anything really hit the the live oaks or the elms They seem to be very long-term hardy tree options. Yeah,
1: elms have been around. Chinese elms have been in the valley as long as I've been around, longer than that. So oak's not quite so long that, you know, the folks in uh, the Marana-Tucson area, the Kellys brought the heritage live oak in the 70s maybe, early 80s, is when it really caught on. But we seemingly have had no issues like we have with a lot of trees that have been introduced here over the years. So, and uh, red push is newer than that, but seen some situations where they've been in pretty stressful conditions and they've come through it just fine.
0: And their structure, I mean, everything about I haven't found one thing I didn't like about the red push.
1: I would have to say that's about right, maybe other than it being just a little slower, but... That's okay.